Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. You would take your Bibles and open to the book of Exodus with me, Exodus chapter 5. In a moment, I'll begin reading in verse 22 through chapter 7, verse 7. How great it is. To know that we have a Lord who is in control of everything. And that has personal implication for you this morning. Because since we believe that God is in control over everything, that means that you are not here by accident this morning. You are not here by happenstance. You are here because God has brought you here. God has brought you here for a reason and for a purpose. Because there is something that you need to hear from God's Word. Because God knows that you need to hear from Him today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all of the ins and outs of your life. Struggles, difficulties, hardships, pressures, stresses. You have any of those? <laughs> and that God has something this morning that He would say to you through His Word. some truth that you need. Truth that you need that will be a foundation for your life. Some kind of stability. Help. Source of strength. Confidence. Something that you need because God's word tells us what it is and who it is that we need. He tells us that we need Jesus Christ. So knowing that we are not here by accident, knowing that God has something to say to us this morning, would you stand with me out of reverence and respect for God's word as I read God's word? When I get to the end, when I get to 7-7, I will say this is the word of the Lord and together we will say thanks be to God because we are thankful for his word that he's given to us as a gift. Let's read together. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God." And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of the fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the sons of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the sons of, the, of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershom, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans. The sons of Koath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, Uziel. The years of the life of Koath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mahali, Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheva, the daughter of Abinadab, and the sister of Nashon. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel. She bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. 
You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may we have ears to hear what your Spirit says to us, this church, your church, and that in hearing your word, we might be changed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We have just come through that dreaded season of tax season. Do you know that if you fail to pay your taxes, the IRS makes it very clear that there is one excuse that will not be tolerated. I don't know if any excuses are tolerated, but one excuse particularly, they say, is not tolerated. If you do not pay your taxes, the IRS will not listen to you or have leniency if you say, I didn't know that I was supposed to pay taxes. (laughs) I didn't know is not a valid excuse. You are held responsible to know and to pay accordingly. I fear that many in our world think that that might be a valid excuse somehow with God. That when they one day will stand before God, they will somehow act surprised and they will say to God, God, I didn't know that you existed. I didn't know that you were there. I was ignorant. I wish you would have made yourself known. That way I could have known you. Do you think that that's going to be a valid excuse before God? to say, I didn't know. It's almost like we put the blame back on God. God, you really failed there. All those people who didn't know you, maybe you should let them off the hook. I remember riding up a ski lift in Breckenridge, Colorado with a young man from Kazakhstan He was an exchange student at the school where I taught. I was chaperoning on their senior trip, and I had been his Bible teacher for the whole school year. And on this lift, we began talking about God. Did he believe God? Did he know God? Did he believe what the Bible said about God, and did he believe in Jesus Christ? 
I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, if God exists, why didn't he leave us a note? There we were in the Rockies with this beautiful landscape spread out before us, covered with trees and snow, the the sun shining brightly down upon us. It was a gorgeous day. Look around. How did all this get here? Why is there beauty all around us? Who made this? If that is not enough of a note, what about the Bible? What about God's Word, where He has told us who He is and what He has done? You see, this is the problem with all mankind. It's not that people do not know God. They know Him. They know He exists. They know He is there. It is undeniable. Living in this world, no one can escape knowing that he is there and that he exists, then what is the problem? It's that people do not honor him or give thanks to him or worship him the way that they were created to. The book of Romans, chapter 1, says this, beginning in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's the problem. It's not that people don't know God. It's that they did not honor Him give thanks to him, worship him, as they were created to, as they were designed to. You hear what it said there? So they are without excuse. What happens then? No one can stand before God and say, God, I didn't know that you existed. I didn't know that you were there. Paul said it's been clearly perceived God has made himself known. And in the book of Exodus, we are discovering how the Lord is making himself known. He is making himself known to his people Israel. He is making himself known to Moses. He is making himself known to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all of the Egyptians. When all is said and done, there will be no mistaking who the Lord is. You will not be able to deny that he is God that he is sovereign over everything and over everyone. You will not doubt if he is powerful or if he has authority or if he is sufficient or if he is able. God is making himself known in the book of Exodus. And think about this book written thousands of years ago, this book of Exodus, that now we can read it and now God is making himself known not only to those people, but God is making himself known to us. 
so that we can know him. And not just know that he exists, not just know that he is there, but actually believe this God. Actually trust this God. Put our faith in this God and who he reveals himself to be. The greatness of the Lord is put on display in the book of Exodus. And it is the Lord who is making himself known. The way that he wants to be known. And we need him to reveal himself to us. Because if it's up to us to figure out God, we're not going to get it. So we need God to reveal himself to us. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh. That's the name that he gives himself here in the book of Exodus. And you hear a refrain. Did you hear a refrain as we read the text this morning? You hear this refrain over and over and over again. You can follow along here as I go through these. Six, chapter 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. 6, verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 6, verse 7. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. 6, 8. I am the Lord. 6, 29. The Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Do you think that God wants them to know that he's the Lord? He is the self-existent one, the self-sustaining one, the all-sufficient one, the one who has always been and who always will be, the one who is the great I am, knowing that he is Yahweh completely and utterly directs and reorients and transforms our lives. If you know that he is the Lord and if you believe that he is the Lord, you cannot stay the same. You realize the bondage to sin that you are in, and you come to see that only the Lord can save you and only the Lord can rescue you from that sin. So then all of your hope and all of your trust and all of your dependence and all of your strength and all of your joy must be found in Him and in Him alone. But in what ways has the Lord made Himself known? There are three ways that we are looking at in this text that the Lord has made himself known. And so number one, you can follow along there on your bulletin if that's helpful. Number one in this outline we talked about last week a little bit. The Lord makes himself known through the salvation of his people. The Lord makes himself known through the salvation of his people. And we see this really beginning there specifically in Chapter 6, verse 2, the Lord brings us to a certain truth that He is the Lord of the past, He is the Lord of the present, and He is the Lord of the future. He says, I'm the Lord of the past. I made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. I came to them and made a commitment to them, saying, I will, I will love you I will give you this land. I will be with you. He made himself known as God Almighty to them. 
the God who was able to do far more abundantly than they could ever think or ask. The Lord says, I will keep my covenant. I will keep my promises. I've made promises. I'm going to keep them. Take them to the bank. They're going to happen. God is faithful. You need a God who is faithful to the past. A God who's been ordering and orchestrating your past. A God who is one who will keep his promises. You've been let down. You've been disappointed. God ultimately never disappoints. He never fails. God also is a God of the present. You see that in verse 5 of chapter 6. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. He said, I've heard what's going on. I hear the present situation that my people are in. I have compassion upon them. I love them. I've heard their groanings. You groaning today. You facing difficulty today, hardship today, suffering today. You're groaning. You need a God of the present who will hear you today when you cry out to him, when you call to him. And you need a God of the future. You see that here in 6 through 8? You hear this over and over again. As he says, I am the Lord, and I will, and I will, and I will, and I will. Seven times he says, I will. I will bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I will bring you into the land that I promised to give your forefathers. I will give it to you. God is saying there, I will rescue you. I will save you. I will take care of you. It doesn't look that way right now to the Israelites. It doesn't look that way right now to Moses. It's gotten worse. Their work's gotten harder. Pharaoh's just piled the work upon them more and more. They're crying out. In fact, they're not even going to listen to Moses because it says there that, what does it say? The end of, uh, make sure I get it right. Verse 9, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit or harsh slavery. Those words, broken spirit, could also be translated, they were short of breath. Because of all of the burdens that had been put upon them. It did not look good. The future looked uncertain. How are they ever going to be relieved of these burdens that were bearing down upon them and they needed a God who would come to them who would say, I will save you. I will redeem you. I will care for you. I will have a relationship with you. And I will give you rest ultimately. So the Lord reveals himself, the Lord makes himself known through the salvation of his people. Our God is a saving God who saves out of his grace, not because we deserve it. God saves us in his mercy. God saves us with his steadfast and eternal love, a love that never gives up, 
A love that never grows cold. A love that perseveres through everything. We need a Lord who saves us, rescues us. And so the Lord makes himself known through the salvation of his people. But secondly, this morning, this is, now you have to start filling in the blanks. That was last week's sermon. Number two, the Lord makes himself known through his humble and human servants. The Lord makes himself known through his humble and human servants. We might be tempted to skip over this part of the text. In fact, this part of the text now, from verse 10 of chapter 6 to verse 30, might fit well in some of the stereotypes that people have of the Old Testament. Ah, the Old Testament, it's just full of genealogies. In fact, I bet that as I read that, you were glad that you didn't have to read that. Right? People say, this is so boring. Why is this in here? Did God just want to fill up some space? Why is this stuff in the Bible? Let's get past this. Let's move on to the exciting stuff, the exciting events. How, though, we might read the genealogies different if our name was in the genealogy. Think about that. These people's names have been recorded, and here we are in 2021 still hearing their names, still having their names read. Thousands of years later, we remember them. How carefully, methodically, we would read it if this was our family, if this was our history, if this was our pedigree, where we came from. So, dear brother and sister, let me say emphatically, this is your family. This is your history. This is where you have come from. Do not dismiss it as boring, but let us see together that God has a purpose in including these names in his word. He is not trying to fill up some space in order to make the Bible longer or more boring. There's a reason why the genealogy is here. And so let's begin here in verses 10 through 13. First, God has just told Moses what to say to Israel, but Israel did not listen to Moses. And so now the Lord changes the audience. Moses, go to Pharaoh. Tell the king of Egypt, let the people of Israel go. And so here's Moses, little old Moses. He is to stand before the king, and not just any king. This is the king of Egypt. This is perhaps one of the most powerful kings in the whole known world at this time. Moses had to go before that king, stand before him, and command him to let Israel, go. Moses recognizes a problem with this plan, however. God, I just went to your people, and I told them that you were going to save them and rescue them by your all-powerful and mighty hand, and they didn't listen to me. Now, you want me to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the Israelites go and he's going to listen to me? Not going to work. Not going to happen. How in the world will Pharaoh listen to me? I can't even get your own people to listen to me, God. How am I going to get this pagan king to listen to me? 
This pagan king who thinks that he is God, how is he going to listen to me? And Moses gives the reason why he thinks Pharaoh won't listen to him when he says, I am of uncircumcised lips. That's the problem in Moses' mind. That's the obstacle that's keeping the people from listening to him. Notice how this problem is bookended in this section of Scripture. So you see it there in verse 12, when Moses says, For I am of uncircumcised lips. And then he says at the very end of verse 30, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? What does Moses mean when he says that he is of uncircumcised lips? We know earlier that Moses had objected to God by saying that he was slow of speech and slow of tongue. Back in those verses, I believe Moses is objecting by saying that he is incapable of speaking. He is saying he is inarticulate. There was a problem with his ability. Here, though, with this statement of uncircumcised lips, he is saying something different. It's not that he is unable, per se. It's that he sees himself unfit or unworthy for the task. Who is Moses to speak on behalf of the Lord to Pharaoh? I think he is saying something similar to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. When Isaiah experiences the holiness of the Lord and the glory of the Lord, he cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips were lips that should not be in the presence of a holy God. He is unfit and he realizes his unworthiness before the Lord. And so Moses' lips, being uncircumcised, and that's a metaphor, not literally, is meant to say that his lips were not set apart for God to accomplish the task the Lord had set before him. But what happened? But the Lord gave Moses and Aaron a charge to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And then were taken on this excursus through this genealogy. It starts with the first three sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. But the main emphasis here is on the tribe of Levi. This is the one line of that tribe that sticks out. Levi has three sons, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. But it's the line of Kohath who then bore the son Amram who it's highlighted We can tell that this line is highlighted because we're given the years of their lives. Levi, 137 years. Koath, 133 years. Amram, his years mirror. Levi's with 137 years. Amram, it says, married Jochebed. These were the parents of Aaron and Moses. Interesting, notice here, Amram and Jochebed, their marriage would actually be a marriage that would later be forbidden in the law of Moses. Continues to narrow down, though, to Aaron. Aaron now becomes singled out, and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. Finally, Eleazar, one of of Aaron's sons, bore Phinehas. The question becomes, as we go through this genealogy, why is this selective and focused on Levi? Why is it that, that we're honed in to Levi and Moses and Aaron's line the way that we are. It's to demonstrate the 
humbleness and the humanness of the Lord's servants. Look at where Moses and Aaron had come from, from the tribe of Levi, not the most prestigious tribe. Levi, along with his brother Simeon, were cursed by their father Jacob in Genesis 49. Jacob says this, Cursed be their anger, that's Simeon and Levi, for it is fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so we might say, can anything good come out of the tribe of Levi? And then there's Amram, who took his aunt to be his wife. At Mount Sinai, such an action would go against God's law. Is this the kind of family that you would want to come from? But it was out of this line that God brought forth these very human and very humble servants of Moses and Aaron. And it was through them that the Lord was going to make himself known. He was going to use an unexpected line and a questionable marriage to make his glory known. Who were Moses and Aaron? They were not the most prestigious. They were not a line you would have guessed God would have used, yet they were the ones that God chose. And it was through the line of Aaron that God would designate priests who would serve in the tabernacle, the tent of God, the place where God would dwell among his people. It was Aaron's line that would serve as mediators for the whole nation of Israel. They were those set apart to go into the very presence of God on behalf of the people and represent them before God. And it's through their mediatorial role of priests that the nation of Israel would know the Lord. In this genealogy, we are also introduced to some who would be greatly used by God, but some who would also exalt themselves in pride and so be destroyed by God. We read names like Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu uh, offered up what the Bible says was unauthorized fire. They worshipped God in a way that God did not want and God did not accept. And so they were consumed by fire and died before the Lord. You can read about that in Leviticus 10 or Numbers 3. Through their actions, they did not promote the holiness of God before the people, and so they paid with their own life. We also read about Korah and his sons. The sons of Korah wrote some of the songs that we read in the book of Psalms. But Korah, along with Nathan and Abiram, rebel against God by questioning the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And in the end, you remember this event? The earth opens up and it swallows them. Finally, a bright spot is seen with this man Phineas, whose actions turned away the wrath of the Lord because he was jealous for the Lord's glory and jealous for the holiness of the people of Israel. Here is a a genealogy reminding us of who these men, Moses and Aaron, are. We're reminded of the line that they came from, reminded about their humbleness, their humbleness, and that it was they whom the Lord chose to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. Why would God choose Moses and Aaron to make himself known? Why would God use Moses who protests, I am of uncircumcised lips? I want you to notice the contrast here. Listen to what, listen to what Moses says. 
I am of uncircumcised lips. But what does the Lord say to Moses? I am the Lord. Do you hear that contrast? I am the Lord and I am of uncircumcised lips. One statement about God's greatness, another statement highlighting Moses' unworthiness. Why would God use these humble and human servants to make himself known? God would use them so that he would get all of the glory. Not so that Moses and Aaron would get any of the glory, but so that all of it would go to God. Moses would not be praised. Aaron would not be exalted. No, the Lord and the Lord alone would get all of the glory. And it's all happening according to God's plan. Who does God use? God uses those who are humble and those who are human. Would you ever say, I don't know if God can use me? God uses humble and human servants to do great and marvelous things. And that's not so that you get the glory. That's so that God gets the glory. Reminded of an event that takes place in Jesus' life. This is Mark chapter 9. Verses 33 through 35. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Think about that. There you are, following Jesus. And Jesus knows what they're talking about. And he says, what were you discussing along the way? We might think the audacity of those disciples. Arguing about who was the greatest. You're in Jesus' midst. You're with Jesus. Is there any question about who's the greatest? Would we ever argue about who's greatest? No, we would be like those disciples. How often we are more like the disciples than we'd like to admit. <laughs> but what does Jesus say? He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Is that the kind of perspective that we have as followers of Jesus Christ? We must be last of all and we must be a servant of all. Not arguing about who's greatest, but being humble in the service that God has called us to as his people. And this is all happening according to God's plan. And I think it's ironic here that we end verse 30 with Moses saying, how will Pharaoh listen to me? And the idea behind this is that Pharaoh won't listen to me. And Moses is right. Pharaoh won't listen to him. But that's not because of Moses. That's because of God. It's because of what God is doing. It's because how God is working salvation for his people. It's because of how God is revealing his holy name 
that Pharaoh won't listen. So that brings us to our third point and our final way in which the Lord makes himself known. The Lord makes himself known through the judgment of his enemies. The Lord makes himself known through the judgment of his enemies. The Lord gives another encouragement to Moses to go to Pharaoh. Moses, I know you think Pharaoh won't listen to you, that he will reject you, but I want you to know something. I have made you God to Pharaoh. Our English versions often soften the blow a bit for us here, saying Moses will be made like God to Pharaoh, but this is a stronger metaphor that does not use the word like. We know that Moses does not actually become God. Instead, what does he do? He represents God and functions as God before Pharaoh. Do you see what God is doing? Do you remember I said that Pharaoh has set himself up as a God? He wants the people of his land to worship him as a God and that he is this physical representation of God. And now, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, you're going to be God to Pharaoh. uh, The Lord is beating Pharaoh at his own game. Pharaoh was thought to be the very representation of one of the Egyptian gods. Pharaoh was exalted as God in the sight of the people, someone who was to be served, worshipped, But what does the Lord do? The Lord raises up a shepherd, raises up this leader. We've just seen his genealogy. It does not include any of his Egyptian royal heritage in it. God raises up this one who will bring Israelite slaves out of Egypt. Pharaoh, you think that you are God. Well, this man Moses is God to you and he will prevail over you. He will not succumb to your power. He will not be defeated by your threats. He will not be ruled by your sovereignty. In fact, it is the other way around. Moses is truly God to Pharaoh because it was the Lord God himself who was acting through Moses. It's not that Moses himself became God, but it was Moses functioning as God before Pharaoh because he was representing and standing in the place of the one true God who is Lord over all. What is it that God was calling Moses to do? He was calling Moses back to the role that Adam was supposed to have in the Garden of Egypt, or the Garden of Eden. Adam was supposed to represent God's rule and God's reign through his actions. He was supposed to extend the rule over the whole cosmos of God. And here was Adam made in the very image of God, but he failed and the image was marred. Moses is supposed to pick now up this mantle back up. He is supposed to image God before Pharaoh. Moses is only one more in a line of those who are pointing forward to the one who is not merely a man who functions as God, who not only tries to succeed where Adam failed, No, there is one who is going to come who is the God-man, who does not only represent God or function as God, but one who is God. This is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is called the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is he who is the image of the invisible God that can restore you so that you rightly bear the image of God. So Moses, being like God before Pharaoh, was pointing forward to Christ, who is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, the incarnate God. And what happens here? Moses and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh all that God has commanded them. But Pharaoh won't listen. Pharaoh won't listen because of who God is and because of what God is doing in Pharaoh's heart and life. Moses, you can't control Pharaoh or make him change. It's God's sovereignty over Pharaoh that will prevail. And what is the Lord going to do to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians? Do you see it there? Great acts of judgment. This is another way the Lord is going to make himself known. This is how the Egyptians will know that he is Yahweh when he stretches out his mighty and awesome hand against them in judgment. It is through judgment that they will know that he is the Lord. It is through judgment because Pharaoh and the Egyptians will reject the Lord. They will reject his word. They will reject and refuse to acknowledge what he has done. They will continue to reject and refuse the fact that he is Lord and there is no other. They will refuse to submit to him. This is the terrifying truth for those who refuse to submit to the Lord. For those who remain steadfast in their rejection of Christ, they will experience the judgment of God. But in the end, just like the Egyptians, everyone will know that he is Lord. Do we like to talk about God's judgment? Do we talk about it often? Do you know that you cannot have God's salvation without his judgment? People would like to talk just about the Lord's salvation. That's it. The Lord saves, but the Lord saves through judgment. It can't all be about salvation. Think about it in God's word. What's happening when Noah is on the ark? There's a whole bunch of people drowning in water underneath that boat. But let's make wallpaper and put it up in our church nursery. (laughs) Terrifying thought. God's judgment. But God rescuing Noah and his family out of that. What about Lot? His family is saved and rescued while sulfur rains down on Sodom and Gomorrah. What about David leading 
the Israelites to triumph over the Philistines. But what happens first? The death of Goliath. What about Jonah? He had to spend three days in the belly of a great fish before he was vomited out on a dry land. God's salvation comes to us through judgment. Judgment comes. It has to come. And who are those who receive God's judgment? They are his enemies. God's enemies receive his judgment. And now the question is, who are God's enemies? God's enemies are sinners. Those who sin against God are his enemies. Who are sinners? We all are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who does good. There is no one who is free from sin save one, Jesus Christ. Sinners are God's enemies and so rightly deserve God's judgment. But God, in his infinite grace and love and mercy, saves his enemies. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 5 with me for a moment. Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we or shall we be saved by his life. You hear that, dear brothers and sisters, dear fellow Christians. While we were enemies. Christians are those who have been brought from death to life. Christians are those who were once God's enemies, but now have been reconciled to God and brought into his family by Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross for our sin, who rose again from the dead for our justification so that we can be made right with God. For while we were enemies, God reconciled himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We were enemies, but we are no longer enemies. We did once deserve judgment, but no longer deserve judgment because Jesus Christ has paid the price for us. I hope that describes you this morning. I hope you can say, yes, I once was an enemy, but no longer. 
I once was weak. I once was ungodly. I once was one who was dead in my sin, dominated by sin, enslaved to my sin, but no longer because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. But there could be other options. I pray that you would say, I once was an enemy, but maybe you would say this morning, I am his enemy. I'm an enemy because I've sinned against him and keep sinning against him and I'm enslaved to my sin and I don't know a way out. There's good news this morning. There's good news that you don't have to stay God's enemy. But that he would call you, he would say, come out of this sin. Come out of this state of being an enemy. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Believe that Christ died for your sins. Believe that he rose again from the dead. Confess that he is Lord, that he is the one that you want to follow with your whole heart and with your whole life. And he will save you. So you don't have to stay an enemy of God, but now you can become a friend of God. That's one option. Another option, perhaps a more deadly option, is maybe you would say, I've never been God's enemy. And I think that's a dangerous place because that means that you've never repented of your sin. It means you've never seen that your sin is an affront on God. It means that you've never understood the death that you are in because of your sin. Never cried out to God for forgiveness. So if you think this morning that you've never been God's enemy, I would ask you to think again. Think again about your sin. Think again about who God is. Think about what Christ has done to save you. And that He is the only way. As we look at these three ways that the Lord has made Himself known, He's made Himself known through His salvation, He's made Himself known through his human and humble servants, and he's made himself known through the judgment of his enemies, do we see that all of these find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ? He is the Savior. The Lord has made himself known through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the human and humble servant who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then here comes the twist. Jesus Christ took the judgment of God upon himself in the place of sinners. 
he who knew no sin became sin, took the judgment of God upon himself, the wrath of God upon himself, the one who didn't deserve it. We deserved it. We were his enemies. Christ didn't deserve it, yet Christ took it upon himself so that we would not experience the judgment and wrath of God. So that we would be freed from our sins, so that we would be forgiven, so that we then would know the Lord, that he is God, and know Jesus Christ, who is our life. And it's our desire that no one knows that judgment. We don't want anyone to know that judgment or that wrath of God. We want all to come to Christ, all to repent, all to be saved. And so we pray towards that end. He pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made a way that we no longer have to be your enemies, but we can be reconciled to you and be forgiven. Let us realize your grace and your mercy as those who were rightly deserving of your judgment, but let us praise you that all of that judgment and wrath fell upon our Savior Jesus Christ so that we won't have to drink a drop of it, experience a moment of it, because Christ Jesus has paid it all. He's paid the price in full for our sin. He's taken our punishment upon himself. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who is your enemy, that today you would open up their eyes, soften their hearts, let them cry out to you, let them say, I see that Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That they would put their faith and trust in the work that he has done on the cross to save them. That they would see that the only way that they can know you and come to you and have a relationship with you and know eternal life is through Jesus Christ. So save them and rescue them, dear Father. Let them be made alive today. And Father, help us to continue to trust you, the one who is the Lord of the past, the present, and the future. May we trust you throughout all of our days. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.